Being, as you're being seated, I invite you to take your Bible and, if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 3, what I hope will be a very familiar text to you. Genesis chapter 3, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say You shall not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and to the woman and said to them, Where are you? This is the word of God. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So friends, we're in a sermon series for the summer that we've entitled First Things. We could have just as easily entitled it Bible 101. We're looking at some of the foundational documents of the spiritual life in the Jewish and the Christian faith. We're going back to the book of Genesis and look at some of those foundational truths to what it means to be someone in the Jewish community or someone in the Christian community. Last week we looked at creation. We looked at creation in Genesis chapter 1, and we especially looked at day 6 of creation in Genesis 1. We looked at day 6 when all living creatures, including men and women, were created. We heard God say, let us make humankind in our image. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So we looked at the sixth day of creation. I mentioned how chapter 2 is an elaboration of the sixth day of creation. Chapter 2 is an elaboration of the creation of man and woman. And today we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 3. Up to this point, humanity's been created. Up to this point, God has breathed the breath of life into them. God has given them dominion over all creation. God has given to them the right to name the animals 
cultivate the earth, and they're living in an amazing intimacy with God. Now, all of a sudden, chapter 3, verse 1, there comes a sneaky speaking serpent into the garden. And this sneaky speaking serpent comes into the garden and begins to have a dialogue, especially with Eve. Now, we need to make sure we know who this sneaky speaking serpent is. This serpent knows us well, so we need to make sure we know this serpent well. It's not here in the text. It's not found in the book of Genesis, but I'm glad we got the rest of the book. If you go into the New Testament, John the Revelator says that this serpent here in Genesis 3 is the one that the Christian community calls Satan. We need to know this serpent well because this serpent knows us well. In the New Testament, we read quite a bit about who this serpent is. He's called Satan, which simply means our adversary. He's called Diabolos, the devil, which simply means the slanderer. We are told that he roars about on planet earth, seeking whom he may devour. We're told in Paul's writings that he frequently comes to us now, not as a serpent, but he comes to us now as an angel of light. We are told that Jesus called him the evil one. Jesus called him the father of lies. Jesus called him, and get this church, Jesus called him the ruler of this world. And it was the Apostle Paul who calls this serpent the God, little g, of this age. So the New Testament tells us a lot about the identity of this serpent. Eve did not know all that we know about the identity of this serpent. Notice the dialogue here in Genesis 3 between this speaking serpent and Eve. Notice that the serpent says, Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? You notice what the serpent does. The serpent begins talking to Eve by first and foremost getting Eve to doubt what it was that God said. Did God really say, Eve? Are you sure that God said, Eve, that you shall eat from any tree in the garden? So here we see the enemy of our souls seeking to instill in us doubts of God's Word. That's still a tactic that the enemy has. Did God really say? Now, the modern version of that that question has become a statement in this postmodern era, in our contemporary age. Did God say has become in our era, well, everybody has their own interpretation. So just discount a discussion of Scripture. That's the way we said in this modern age, but the, the serpent is pleased anytime the serpent can cause us to doubt what it is that God says and to call our attention elsewhere. You know, we've been looking and listening to what God has been saying to us now for 3,500 years in the Jewish community, then the Christian community. Uh, much of what God has said to us has been penned in what we call sacred scripture. And we, we still are struggling with sacred scripture. But we've, we've learned some things in the last 3,500 years. We know, for instance, 
that when you run across something that God has said that's rather hard to understand in God's Word, you let the clearer portions of Scripture interpret the less clear portions of Scripture. What we've said, particularly in the Protestant world, has been we need to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. Let the clearer text interpret the less clearer text. That will help us to know what it is that God says. The woman answered the serpent by saying, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. To that the serpent responds. And I hope that you hear the hiss in his, ver- in his, in his voice when he speaks. The serpent says to Eve, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So at this point, the serpent is openly contradicting something that God said. God said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of that particular tree in the center of the garden. Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For as soon as you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, God meant the essence of death. The essence of death is separation from God. Part of that is a physical death, but far greater than the physical death is the spiritual separation from God. That's the death that the Bible's most concerned about. So it's the enemy here saying to Eve, you, you will not die. God just knows that if you eat of that tree, you will become like God. And the enemy still plays on our pride. The enemy still plays on our desire to be Lord of our lives, God of our circumstances, and captains of our own destiny. So the serpent openly contradicted God and said, you will not die. But God is just telling you this because God doesn't wish your highest welfare. God, according to the serpent, is telling you this to keep you from eating because when you eat, you'll become like God. So here we see the enemy of our souls encouraging us to directly contradict what God says to us and especially to doubt God's goodness. You know, sometimes we think that God has given us laws, God has given us rules, God has given us boundaries just to be a killjoy, just to take away our happiness. But again, we should never doubt the goodness of God. What God has given to us, even in regards to law and boundaries and rules, Ten Commandments, whatever, He has given us those boundaries to help us find joy in life, not to take away our joy. God is the Creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what what brings joy into human living. So when God has laid down a law, don't eat of that tree in the center of the Garden of Eden, don't think it's because God is not good to you. And don't allow the enemy to tell you just to contradict the Word of God and to go against what God has plainly said. That's the way the enemy came at Eve. That's the way the enemy comes at us. Notice what Adam and Eve do. The text simply says, she took of the fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now, I'll be quick to admit, throughout much of church history, women or Eve has bared the brunt of what we call the fall. 
of humanity into sin and rebellion. Because Eve is sort of prominent in this story, and it's Eve that's being seduced by the enemy. But I don't see it that way. When I look at this text, I hear Eve having the dialogue with the serpent, and there's Adam standing right beside her. You see it in the text. There's Adam standing right beside her as your stereotypical clueless husband. He doesn't even have enough sense to debate with the enemy. At least Eve is trying to have a dialogue with the enemy, and Eve offers the fruit to Adam, and he just eats. He doesn't come off looking well in this text. I don't think the male looks any better than the female in this text. There are deep, profound truths about God and human beings in this text. This text, these opening chapters of Genesis, tell us who God is and who we are. You know, if you read these deep, profound truths, and the only question that pops in your mind is, I wonder what kind of fruit it was they ate, you're probably missing the point. By the way, as an aside, I know in European artwork, the fruit tends to be an apple. They don't know a lot about apples in the Middle East. So if you ask the folks in the Middle East, they'll tell you it was probably a pomegranate. I don't think it makes a big difference. But we find deep, profound truths here about who God is and who we are. You notice in the text here, the speaking serpent promised knowledge to the original couple. And they received knowledge. Not the knowledge like God's knowledge, but they received the knowledge of their own sin, their own shame, their own brokenness. They received the knowledge for what they had done here in the midst of paradise. What this text tells us, and this text is as old as humanity, what this text tells us is that we want to trade places with God We are in a state of rebellion. We come into this world in a state of rebellion. That's who we are by nature. By the way, you may not realize this. One of the reasons the historic traditional church baptizes your infants is because they need Jesus. And God in Christ has made provision because every human being is born in a state of rebellion. So the story that we see here in chapter 3 of Genesis is as old as humanity itself. From Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation 21, we see the ongoing conflict now that continues after Genesis 3, the conflict between good and evil, between God and the speaking serpent. If you want to know how the conflict continues, I encourage you to go read one of my favorite books, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Screwtape Letters that he wrote at the end of World War II was so popular here in the United States, it got his picture in 1948 on the cover of Time magazine. Now, if you don't know what Screwtape Letters are, they're just a series of letters from a senior devil to a junior devil. The senior devil is trying to tell the junior devil how to tempt his patients, how to tempt his people like us. So the screw tape letters is a remarkable way to learn the subtle ways that the enemy tempts us. If you go look at that portrait of C.S. Lewis on Time magazine in 1948, it's, it's a um, 
painted a picture of C.S. Lewis, and you'll notice on his shoulder, there's a demon speaking into his ear. If you don't realize that the serpent is still speaking to us, trying to draw us away from God, trying to nurture our nature of rebellion, you may have already lost the battle. But what we learn here in Genesis, what we proclaim throughout the Christian faith, is you cannot have Genesis 1 and 2 without Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible. In Genesis 1, we did hear God say about the human beings, this is very good. We're not left in that very good world anymore. Toto, we're not in the Garden of Eden any longer. I assume you understand that. Chapter 3, what we historically call, theologically call, the fall has happened. And we are trying to dig our way out of the fall. And God is helping us. You notice how the text ends. This original couple, after they had rebelled, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and woman and said, Where are you? God came looking for this couple that's now in hiding because they rebelled. God comes looking for each one of us. That's the story of Jesus Christ. We are born bent. We're born broken. We are born in a bad state by nature. And now in Jesus Christ, through redemption, we can overcome who we are. We can overcome our nature. We can overcome the way we were born. We can lay down our armaments of rebellion. And we can surrender to God and ask God to be God. We're in a mess in the human family and even nature around us. But even though our sin is great, God's grace is greater. That's the point of Jesus. He comes to deliver. He comes to rescue. He comes to redeem. He comes to help us get over our nature and become something in Christ that we could never become on our own. That Methodist anthem, And Can It Be That I Should Gain, is Charles Wesley speaking his testimony as to who he realized he was and what he had experienced after he came to faith in Christ. Now, he had already been serving the church as a clergy person for a decade. He knew the Christian faith, but it was only after his experience, three days before John's Aldersgate experience, that Jesus Christ became real to him. His life was changed, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in his life in such a way he found freedom. He found, he found freedom from the guilt of sin, and he found freedom from even the dominion and power of sin. That's the good news. Pastor Clark's going to lead us in the creed in a few moments as a response to hearing the Word of God. I hope that by the time we sing Charles Wesley's testimony, verses 1, 4, and 5 particularly, of And Can It Be That I Should Gain, that by the time we sing that in a few moments, it will indeed be your testimony, my testimony, as we allow Jesus Christ to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves.
Amen.